Morning, everyone. Um, last Whitson, we went, Mick and I, we went to Spain on holiday with the family. And we had a lovely time. And each morning, we used, Mick and I used to walk about a mile, mile and a half. We used to call it our constitutional. And we'd, we'd do the same sort of circuit every morning. And there was a coffee halfway round, but, you know, we did our mile and a half. And the one first Sunday morning, we were walking not far from where we were staying. And there's a church. And I heard a song that we sing here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I listened to it and I said to Mick, I, I wonder if what time the service starts. I looked at my watch, it was quarter past 12 and it was actually the closing hymn. And I said to him, I'm going to the notice board and I'm going there next week, which I did do. And I went in, made very welcome. There were about 50, 55 people there. Older people, mostly. And the, they had a um, worship trio at the front. Three white-haired ladies, one on a guitar. So I thought, well, they must have been well into the 70s. And I thought, well, our, Anne and our band have got a long time before they can retire. So uh, the songs were the sort of songs we sing here. And... Uh, Warm, welcoming. It was lovely, lovely. And I had a lovely time there. And we finished off by singing to the pastor because it was his birthday, 91. And we sang happy birthday to the pastor. But the reason I'm telling you that is because the message I heard was from the pastor's son. And it really blessed me. So that's the inspiration of this message today. Um, to start with, I want to tell you a story. And it's about a little boy. And he's five years old, similar to my own grandson. So he's five years old. And his grandfather's a king. And his father's a prince. So he's born into royalty and privilege. And you know, he can have anything he wants, anything at all. He's a prince, so he's got servants. And he lives in a palace. He's loved by his father and his family. And he's very wealthy. And his future's pretty good because he's going to be king one day. And he'll have all the power and the authority that that brings with it. So he's in a really good position. He's a very blessed child. But then one day, he's playing in the palace as normal. And suddenly, there's great confusion in the palace. There's panic everywhere. The servants are rushing around. Some are crying and weeping. And everybody seems to be frightened. It's panic-stricken. And the little boy doesn't really know what's going on. But little did he know that his grandfather 
King Saul, and his father, Prince Jonathan, had died that very day in battle at a battle at Mount Gilboa. And his nurse, his carer, scooped him up, picked him up. She's all in a panic and she runs away with him to take him to a safe place. But unfortunately, she falls. She has a fall when she's got the little boy. And he fell and actually crippled him in both feet. The fall crippled him in both feet. So he could no longer walk. And you know, she took him to a place of safety, but it was a wasteland, a barren wasteland, far from where they lived. And she was hiding him so that he would be safe. And this place was called Lodabar. And Lodabar means the place of no bread. In other words, nothing. It's a desert place, a wasteland. So this little boy, his name is Mephibosheth, which is a bit of a mouthful, but Mephibosheth. And we read his story in 2 Samuel chapter 4. But in one day, this little boy's life was totally changed. So first of all, he loses his family. His father, his grandfather and his family is destitute. He's severely disabled now. He was whole, but he's now disabled and he can't walk at all. He's got no material wealth at all. That's all gone. No possessions. He's living in hiding because he's a prince of the defeated throne. And he's next in line to that throne. So therefore, he is a threat to that throne because of his position. And he's actually classed as an enemy of the state. So he lived in fear. So for many years, Mephibosheth lived in Lodabar. And he was in secrecy, in hiding, and being cared for by other people because he couldn't care for himself. He had nothing, no land or possessions, and actually was classed as an outcast because of his disability, which is what happened in those times. What a drastic change for that little boy in one day. And it made me think about what happened to Becky. She was here Sunday morning playing the organ and worshipping. And a few hours later, she's in hospital with a life-threatening, potentially life-threatening health problem. I thought about myself when we were in Tenerife and I was just having a walk <laughs> and I had a fall, which put me in hospital over there in a foreign country for four days with a split liver that was life-threatening a split lung and five broken ribs. Like that. It happened like that. I thought about Mark. 
fit in a window that he'd done hundreds of times before. But he just stepped on something wet, fell, and the result was he almost lost his arm. You know, this is what life does, isn't it? These things happen, and I'm sure all of you can identify with something in your lifetime that's just happened like that, and it's changed things. So what happened to this little boy? Well, he lived for years in Lodabar, and he grew up there. Then, one day, his worst nightmare happened. A messenger from the new king, King David, found him in where he was hiding. And he had a message. And he said, Mephibosheth, the king wants to see you. So why? Why did he want to see him? Was he still a threat to the throne? Was King David believing that he was still a threat? Would he be executed as an enemy of the state? He must have been in fear of his life. So Mephibosheth is brought before King David. And what happens? First of all, the king calls his name. Not in anger. He just said, Mephibosheth. And the next thing he said was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Mephibosheth could not believe what he was hearing. When the pastor's son was giving the message, he, he said something about this, do not be afraid. And the Bible tells us many, many, many times, doesn't it? Either fear not, don't be afraid, that term means the same thing. And did you know that reputedly the Bible says that 365 times in the whole Bible? I didn't know that. And I've looked it up, and yes, apparently that is so. And isn't that a wonderful thing that that's fear not is for every day of the year? 365. So when you wake up in the morning, you can claim your promise, fear not, every day that you wake up. I thought that was a lovely thought. So Mephibosheth puts his face to the ground and he says to King David, why are you taking any notice of me? And he refers to himself as a dead dog. Now in Jewish times, the dead were seen as unclean. And dogs were certainly seen as unclean, not as we see them today. And this was how he saw himself. He saw himself as, a, as worthless, totally worthless. And you know, this man, his circumstances totally controlled his life. They dominated his life totally. He just saw himself as totally worthless. But that was not how King David saw him. He saw him as a man of value. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. 
Then the king summoned Zeba, Saul's steward, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Zeba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Zeba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So, just so that we can skip back a little bit, a covenant promise of friendship was, and peace was made. And this was made between Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, and King David years before they'd made this covenant promise. And back in 1 Samuel 18, verse 3, and in 1 Samuel 20, verse 42, we can just read a little bit about that covenant promise. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. We read about this covenant promise, basically that they would always take care of each other's descendants for their whole life. It's a covenant promise of friendship and peace, and it was to last forever. And David honoured this covenant promise by restoring Mephibosheth, and he made him equal to his own family, having a permanent place at David's table to eat with the king. We find this story, which is a true account in 2 Samuel, <clears throat> Excuse me. And he, it closely represents what God has done for us. You might say, how? Well, there are four similarities that I would like to just draw from this story. First of all, Mephibosheth, and by the way, his name means son of shame. What a terrible name to have. He was destitute, weak, broken, afraid, no future, no hope, and crippled. But you know, we've got a similar problem because we are crippled by sin. It's because we're human, all of us. We're all in the same situation. We do wrong things automatically, don't we? We don't mean to half the time, but we do them. 
And sometimes we're really sorry, but we do them again. It's our condition, it's our human condition. And because of that, on our own, we can't please God. That's the first similarity. The second one is good news. Like Mephibosheth, we have been sought out by a king. Notice Mephibosheth did not go to King David. It was the other way around. King David searched for Mephibosheth. He went out of his way to find him, even to Lodabar. In the same way, Jesus came into this world to seek out you and me. Luke 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. If we don't know God personally, then we are separated from God. We too are lost. But God took the initiative to seek and to find people like you and me by sending Jesus, his son. The third similarity is that like Mephibosheth, we are saved for another's sake. We are saved for another's sake, for the sake of someone else. If we look at 2 Samuel 9, verse 7, King David said, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. Do you remember that covenant promise between the two? So Mephibosheth was saved and restored because of David's love and covenant promise with Jonathan. In much the same way, God loves every one of us for his own son's sake. We don't have to earn his love. We've already got it. If we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says this, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves, that's Jesus. The fourth similarity, the last one, is that Mephibosheth's story has a happy ending. He was restored to the king's table. Verse 11 that we read earlier said, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. I'd like to read this quote. It's from a T.D. Jake's book that I've been reading. And it says this, The church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus, the groom, has set a place for us at his banquet table. And the placemat has your name on it and mine. Nice thought. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? That the table's set and we're invited to that table. But, you know, when you get an invitation, you always have to respond, don't you? An RSVP. And that RSVP is totally up to each of us individually. 
If we read Romans 10 and Colossians 1, it says this, and this was Howard actually quoted this last week. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And in Colossians it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The title of this message is Restoration. Restoration. And restoration can be defined as the act of returning something to its former condition. We see the TV programmes, don't we, a lot now? Restoration. Or making something new again is another definition. Restoring can also make things better. Like sometimes you restore a room in your house, don't you, and change the decoration, change the curtains or whatever to make it better. The Bible says a lot about this. Our Heavenly Father and his restoring power is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. God loves us and he wants us to have a relationship with him. And he's provided the way for our relationship to be restored through Jesus, his son. Jesus paid the price, as we've sung about. He paid the price for our sin on the cross. His sacrifice and his shed blood provides the way for us to be forgiven and our relationship with God to be restored. You know, God's still in the business of restoring people today. And there's a place at his table for you and for me if you accept his invitation. We've all experienced times in Lodabar, the place of empty, when our world's turned upside down in an instance. And maybe you've got concerns about the future. There's a lot going on, isn't there, in our country. And maybe you've got concerns about the future. But I'd like to leave with you two promises that are very dear to me. And they've been mentioned several times over the last few weeks with people who've spoken. The first one is Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Psalm 32.8 I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. And thank you for listening. <laughs>